You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 289 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode we are going to discuss dreams with my guest Lee Adams. Lee is a PhD candidate in Jungian psychology and archetypal studies at Pacifica Graduate Institute and host of Cosmic Echo, a lucid dreaming podcast and creator of taileaters.com, an online community of lucid dreamers and psychonauts. Lee has been actively researching, practicing and teaching lucid dreaming for over 20 years. His book, A Visionary Guide to Lucid Dreaming, is a unique approach to lucid dreaming as a tool for personal awareness and transformation. The book provides a comprehensive introduction and ongoing guidebook for experienced lucid dreamers as well as curious readers who are trying to lucid dream for the first time. This episode is actually a Natural Born Alchemist podcast record episode. The record being it's the longest episode I've done so far. But before we get going and listen to my discussion with Lee Adams, consider subbing to my YouTube channel. Just search National Alchemist channel on YouTube and you will find it. Other ways to show support is to leave a nice review on iTunes. Uh, You can share the podcast in social media or become a patron. All the links can be found on naturalbornalchemist.com. All right, now sit back and relax whilst listening to me talk with Lee Adams about dreams and lucid dreaming. So thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. I was uh, recommended by Mike and Maurice, I think. Um, they they said that you guys were you were a good guy or whatever. So figured I'd uh, reach out and see if you want me on or not. So can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and, and what you do? Oh, uh, sure, yeah. Um, well, my name's Lee Adams. I'm a, um independent researcher, I'd say, on dreams and um, lucid dreaming and uh, alchemy. Um, I've been focused and spending my time on this topic for probably around 20 years now. And, um, you know, I was always interested in dreams and stuff as a kid, but really never dedicated too much time to this subject until later in life um and my background is pretty diverse i was uh um i was in the military for 14 years and so i have um some military training things like that and um you know worked in some pretty diverse environments that way but um i got my undergrad in uh, psychology and i primarily focused on dreams while I was in the military I, I did that and um, and then I um, once I got out of the military I spent time on um, continuing my education through um, working with a, a graduate program called um, uh, Pacifica Graduate Institute uh, and they primarily focus on like uh, Jungian psychology uh, depth psychology uh, and archetypal studies and and so um, but you know Aside my um, formal education, my primary education, I'd say, has been my independent research in dreams and experiences in dreams. Um, so I spent 
you know, most of my life, um, trying to really ask myself those hard questions of why I'm here. What is the dream experience? What is lucid dreaming? What are these kind of, um, stranger experiences that people can have and out of body experiences and astral projection, things like that. And how do they relate to each other? And I also kind of delved into the psychedelic community as well and shamanism and tried to relate all that together too, because that's very, um, you know, it's a, in our culture today, in American culture anyways, it's becoming a big, bigger piece is this healing through psychedelics and these experiences that people have. And, um, you know, and sometimes the dream experiences uh, kind of fall to the wayside uh, when people kind of go down that, that road. So, um, and on top of that, I'd say, you know, the religion has also been a big, um, influencer for me to try to understand, um, as probably many of your listeners, I've, uh, I I was brought up in a very, um, religious, uh, community and slowly kind of moved away from that and to kind of find my own way, I'd say, and, through time, um, I've in experience, I say I have come back to kind of incorporating a lot of the religious belief systems that um, I kind of grew up with, with a different understanding through like alchemy and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a you know diverse background I could give you, like yeah, <laughs> many uh, many things that have influenced me. So. Um, but I'd say today, you know, my primary um, focus is on lucid dreaming uh, try, uh, and uh, alchemy, actually, is probably the biggest influencer for me right now. So when you were in the military, was it uh, like private uh, investigations into dreams or, or was it military sanctioned? No, um, you know, the military doesn't really spend a lot of time, I'd say, focusing on sleep. Uh, primarily um so dreams kind of come to the wayside on that so my military time was primarily focused on aviation actually and um and logistics so had nothing to do with really what i was working on um privately and my passions in life i'd say but oddly you know um some of those things kind of come together when you do a job any type of job you know you bring uh, the creativity that you may experience from a dream experience or something like that into your work um, somehow in some way. And also um, I learned through many ways that um, that type of community was not really where I was called to be, even though um, I was kind of in that, you know, uh, it's not a lot of people, you know, a small portion of people go through the military training and that environment stuff. But I would say, in many ways, it's equal to um, the corporate America kind of um, identity that a lot of people have, and working in some of a you know type A personality environments, where creativity and you know discussions on sleep and dreams are probably put to the wayside. So it, it gave me a different perspective, you know, and it also showed me um, an aspect of this career-based idea that a lot of people follow and, um, and how sometimes that can benefit us in many ways, you know, money and finances and stuff like that, but it can also hurt us through that creative process that 
I think dreams are trying to express themselves to us, you know. So we often kind of, including myself, I, I uh, you know, we oftentimes try to limit our dreams at that point. You know, we want, we don't really want to be reminded of the, um, the negativity that we're experiencing in some type of environment like that, you know, high stress and stuff like that. It's usually not, um, productive to a, a great health and, and mentally or physically. So, um, you know, so dreams to me, you know, during my military career, they, they became very loud and active and, um, trying to convey a message to me of, Hey, you know, there's more to life than just working the nine to five job. Uh, in my case, you know, sometimes it was, uh, a four in the morning to, you know, um, seven or eight o'clock at night job instead of, you know, nine to five. But, um, it definitely took its toll on me, but at the same time, it made me really give me appreciation towards dreams and their, um, what they're trying to communicate to people. You know, like, uh, most people think the dreams are, are not most, but some people still today think dreams are just random noise that we can kind of ignore and put, um, put away and they're meaningless. But, um, I'd hate to burst their bubbles and break it to them that that's not the case. So, yeah. One of my earliest lessons concerning dreams and uh, was uh, when I was like maybe 10 years old. I, I dreamt that I discovered a chest of gold with gold in it, a treasure. And I, as I was uh, counting the money and the gold, the gold coins and like being happy about finding it, I woke up at the same time and... Uh, it dissolved in front of me uh, like the dream I saw the dream but I became awake and then it disappeared and uh, ever since then I've been fascinated with this idea of if it's ever possible to bring anything over I mean it's all in your mind anyway rea- in my view reality and the dream so if uh, things can be manifested in reality why can't you bring one thing from the dream world into this world. Oh yes, very interesting. Yeah, a very alchemical uh, dream. I, you know, your podcast. Uh, I, I assume that um, lots of alchemy is involved with it. And so, dreams are very alchemical. And and your dream that you described is very alchemical. You know, like the the concept of gold. You know, and the the non physical um, uh, reality of this gold. You know, it's and, and conveying that message to you in a very profound way of dissolving as you you wake up you know all those things i i I don't want to go into interpret your personal dream for you that's not um something i do um or really agree to but um you know it, it i've had very uh similar dreams uh you know throughout my life and um and I've had I, I had a dream while I was in the military too that actually um, motivated me. It pushed me to to seek outside the military for uh, possible lifelong um, goals, you know. So it actually pushed me to get out of the military, and you know, and it was very profound. And it had to had to be in order to do that to me. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't have listened to it. So, yeah, very very interesting. 
One bad thing I would say about uh, cannabis is the fact that you don't dream as much. I had a period in my life where I was a heavy cannabis user. I don't use it anymore. But during that period, I, I didn't. I really lost out on dreams. I had very. Few, oh, well, I'm I'm sure I dreamt, but for some reason I I couldn't remember anything when I woke up. Uh, have you had this experience? I don't know if you've. Oh, definitely. Yeah, cannabis is a uh, is very much a dream killer for many people. Um, and it's also uh, causes an interesting effect where when you do remember the dreams, um, they're very energetic and very profound. They they often move me to very like wow, you know, like the the amount of information that's kind of pr- dumped on me in those type of dreams is just um, pretty amazing. Um, and also, like if you take breaks from cannabis and things like that, that it can be very um, profound too. You know, like a, a lot of people report on um, when they do like sober October, I think it is called. <laughs> they report on having very profound dreams uh, because of that. So, yeah, I'd say cannabis isn't exactly friend uh, friends to, friend to dreams. Uh, it definitely can reduce it for a lot of people. But um, I've also heard, you know, and reported to people that. Uh, do have profound dreams still on cannabis. Um, so it has a very diverse uh, effect on people. And especially is when you use it, uh, how often you use it and things like that can take a um, great effect on it. I've written some articles on cannabis related to dreams um, and memory on, on my website and uh, try to give it a fair shake, you know, like not try to demonize cannabis towards um, dream uh, in uh, dream inducing or anything like that. I think it can be very dream inducing if used properly, but the problem with cannabis is it kind of, um, it's hard to use properly <laughs> to do that. So it's a, it's a tricky one. So with this lucid dreaming, I mean, uh, I often come across people who want to learn how to do it. And it's also difficult for some to ever get to that point. Some people managed to lucid dream by accident that's how it happened to me first time by an accident just an accident uh, and some people I have uh, friends that can you know do it every night if they like to but what's your suggestions uh, for the novice well um, it's a it's a very broad question and um, the reason I say that is because for me it's important to understand the motivation behind um, somebody that wants to lucid dream. Um, I, I, I myself also had spontaneous, uh, lucid dreams prior to really trying anything at all. And I didn't really understand what a lucid dream was when I was younger. I would, you know, I'd become aware in my dream and, uh, walk around and see things and, um, really kind of observed everything. And it's like, wow, you know, like this is a, this is all in my head, you know, and that was kind of my take when I was a kid. And as I grew up older, you know, and started having more of these experiences, they became stranger and stranger to me. And so, um, and, and then I got at a point in my life where I was just constantly essentially trying to have these experiences as much as I could because they were so profound and, and strange. So, um, yeah, they're exciting. And, and so I had to really kind of get down to the ground and say, 
why, you know, what is this? Why am I trying to have these experiences? What is really a lucid dream? And, and that kind of, um, it's a really hard question to answer actually is like, why, why you want to have a lucid dream? I think it's a very important question too, because it kind of gives you a ground reference to your intention behind it and how to, and what to go from there. So, um, you know, the, the first thing I would ask somebody is to really reflect why they want to have these experiences and, um, you know, maybe to learn more about themselves or something like that. I don't have the answers for them, but, um, for me, that would be the, the start of it. And then, um, you know, look at the, the most, uh, effective techniques out there to have these experiences. Um, most of these experiences focus on awareness training. So being more aware during the day, um, about your daily life and what's affecting you. And commonly we find that people that have lucid dreams are the ones that kind of are interested in these deeper questions, even at a young age and really kind of take in the essence of life, maybe more so than the average person. They're deep thinkers, you know, they, they ponder things, um, they don't take uh, face value. They they ask the questions why to the point of being annoying sometimes. Uh, that's definitely the case for me. So um, you know those are those are things. But there are actual techniques in order to get somebody to kind of have their first experience. And um, and there's been peer-reviewed research showing the effectiveness of it. So uh, I can go into some of those techniques if you'd like. So the, the primary one is um, that's really the most effective is called wake back to bed. And it's wake back to bed lucid dreaming. So um, essentially the person goes to sleep um, for a period of time, say three to four hours, and then they wake up with an alarm clock. Um, and then they stay up for a period of time, say 30 minutes to an hour. And then they just fall back to sleep with the intention to have a lucid dream. Uh, you know, it, we hear this, um, it seems very, very simple, right? And the, the key problems though that people face in this is going back to sleep after they've been up for a period of time because usually you're awake and aware and it's uh, hard for a lot of people to relax at that point. And another uh, issue that people can face with this technique is actually keeping the intention behind it um, having a lucid dream. So attention, I think intention is a big part of lucid dreaming. And it's, that's why I was talking about that first question of asking yourself why, because it asking yourself why and knowing why, um, sets up the intention of what you're trying to accomplish in this case, lucid dreaming. So if you know the why and you set the intention, then you can have that focus. So when you, you know, to overcome these um, issues with wake back to bed, uh, a lot of relaxation training can help meditation, things like that, so that you can get relaxed after you wake up. And also um, setting that intention throughout the day of that you want to have a lucid dream. You know why you want to have a lucid dream, and you're thinking about that throughout the day so that when you do the wake back to bed method, when you're setting that intention, that you can focus on it and really set that goal in your mind as you fall back to sleep. Um, that's the most, uh, one of the most effective techniques that people um, have come up with. 
and there's peer-reviewed evidence that shows this. It was created by, um, well, I don't know. Actually, I don't know who created that one. But um, the second most effective technique is the mild technique, which is the mnemonic, mnemonic induced lucid dreaming. And it's a big tongue twister as I messed it up myself. But all you have to remember is mild. And um, the technique with this one is essentially almost the same as the wake back to bed method but um you go to sleep and you wake up naturally from a dream you can you can also set an alarm if you'd like a few hours after you sleep and then you wake up and you remember the dream that you just had as if it was a lucid dream so say in my dream i was um riding a bicycle or something right and Obviously, I wasn't lucid in the dream, so um, you know I, I don't recall it as if I was lucid, but I'm going to instead pretend as if I was. So in my memory of the dream I just had, say, riding the bike and I'm mindless and I don't re- I'm not really doing anything important, instead of me remembering it that way, I'm going to remember as if I'm riding the bike and then say I, I suddenly become aware that I, I was dreaming. And what would I do in that case? So maybe I get off the bike and I look around and I see things that, um, you know, I typically wouldn't. Or I get off the bike and I I jump up and I fly or something, something cool like that, right? And as I recall this dream as if I was lucid now, then I set the intention to have my next dream be a lucid dream as I'm recalling the last dream being lucid. So you're kind of doing all at once. It's a little confusing at that point, but um, you're now falling back to sleep as if you had your last dream being lucid and you're sending intention to the next one being lucid, and then you fall asleep. And that process, um, it, mo- it passes over into the next dream as your ability to have a lucid dream. And this one has uh, peer-reviewed evidence behind it. It's created by... Uh, Stephen LeBerg, who's written books on lucid dreaming, and most people in the community know that name, and it was very effective. So um, he used it to train people on having lucid dreams, and he still uses the technique in his workshops. So it's very effective. Um, And you can also combine those two techniques, the wake back to bed and the mild technique together, uh, because you wake up during that period of time in both of them, and then you go back to sleep. So kind of in a way, they're both kind of wake back to bed a little bit, but um, they're just not uh, um, staying up for that, you know, hour period of time in um, the, the mild technique. So I, I've effectively used the uh, wake back to bed method um, on, on accident before I even really knew um, this method. Um, you know, instructed this method or anything like that because I was waking up um, early in the morning and working out with the military. And then I would go home before I had to go to work and take a quick nap. And I was very effective in falling back to sleep um, because I'm just the kind of person that has practiced that normally. And so I have no troubles going back to sleep. So I would, I would wake up, I'd go work out with the military, and then I'd come home as quickly as possible and take a quick nap, you know, take a shower and then lay down and take a nap for an hour or so. And almost every single time that I do that, I'd have a lucid dream. And it was 
like clockwork. You know, I could count on it every single day. And a lot of people can't really do that, you know, because uh, it takes a lot of discipline um, to wake up early in the morning, go work out, and then uh, go back to sleep. And um, I'll be honest, I don't do that today. But I have, you know, tested it out since then outside of the military and be like, okay, you know, is this is this really consistent? And um, it works, you know, it works like clockwork every single time. So, but it's not something I like to do. I don't really like to disrupt my sleep. And then I really enjoy my sleep. So um, disrupting and go back to sleep is kind of a, a pain in the butt for me. So I don't really do that one. But uh, those are pretty much the the most effective ways to uh, induce lucid dreaming. Um, on top of those techniques is a third option, um, something that I caution against, but also recommend at the same time. And I caution against because it's uh, taking a supplement and supplements can, you know, they're outside um, mechanisms and they can be sometimes damaging to people depending on uh, what's going on in their life. So, um, but Galantamine, which is a um, extract of a uh, of two different plants, depending on uh, what they make it out of, but it's the same chemical. Um, they extract red spider lily or snowdrop lily, and they create galantamine out of it. And galantamine is a very powerful uh, memory um, supplement. It helps people with Alzheimer's and um, dementia, and um, but it's incredibly effective in um, creating lucid experiences at night. And um, I've used it, and there's articles as well that are peer-reviewed. And it shows it's about 80% more effective than any other technique um, by themselves. So they did studies where they use both the mild and the wake-back-to-bed separately. And they um, studied that, and then they used galantamine on in uh in conjunction with them and also without and they found that galantamine is about 80 percent more effective than any other technique so it's incredibly powerful however um you know i don't always recommend people using something to assist them uh, because uh, sometimes natural experiences are um, really where it's at you know but those are all options and um they can read uh you know, about glontamine, things like that, as well on my website. I have articles on the subject, so they, and it goes very in-depth into what glontamine is, how it affects you, um, the side effects, where they can get it from, um, and then also, you know, cautions. So <laughs> it's all right there. There's one way I've um, uh, dabbled in, and uh, it's, it's also very difficult. I find it difficult, but where you... Uh, don't have a breaking consciousness where you're lying in bed uh, and you're falling asleep but you somehow don't fall asleep with your consciousness so you just slide into the dreaming uh, and uh, the thing that most unless you're an expert the thing that most often happen is that you f- actually fall asleep uh, you, can, you don't manage to stay awake or that uh, you uh, just don't get there at all. You don't fall asleep because you're trying to stay awake. So you have it's like a fine line you have to. And I, I'm not that good at meditating. I'm thinking of do training on that more because I think if you're good at meditating, I'm sure you could do that technique easier. 
but I'm uh, I'm most interested in that way because uh, if you don't have a break in consciousness, I don't. It seems like uh, the times it happens to me when I fall asleep and then I wake up in the dream. It feels like I'm just dropped anywhere. But when you're conscious all the way, you you uh, more uh, enter through the front door. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. So uh, what you're kind of describing, just so listeners know, um, is called the direct method. And it's pretty, um, you know, it's kind of self-explanatory. It's directly uh, from being awake to dreaming. And you do not have a loss of consciousness um, from that. So you'll experience... Um, oftentimes like uh, sleep paralysis, which uh, for a lot of people can kind of be traumatic. Um, if you haven't experienced it before, it can be kind of disorienting. And also um, you you can't move, so you kind of feel the paralysis of that experience. And, the, and a lot of times that can be a little bit scary for people. Um, a lot of people have experienced that without um, – trying to do lucid dreaming or anything like that. They just experience this, the paralysis and they kind of wake themselves out of that. Um, but if you're um, doing that method, you know, it's very, it's it's incredibly challenging for most people to do it that way. And um, the reason is because you're, like you said, it takes a lot of practice to meditate and to relax to the point that you can actually do that from full on waking. Um, and so it's not something that I actively try to f- train people, you know, or um, that's not the method that I really try to to give people for their first experience. Um, but it is definitely, like you said, a more um, it's a it's a much more powerful kind of experience than a typical dream where you just realize you're you're um, experiencing a lucid dream, and um, Wake back to bed, you know, as well as the mild technique can also include um, that direct experience. You're just more you, – you've slept for a little bit prior to doing that. So I've I've definitely have had cases where, um, you know, I'm, I'm going back to bed after waking up for a period of time and I do not have a loss of consciousness. I go from completely being awake and aware to still being awake and aware, but I'm – you know, I'm no longer awake. I'm, I'm dreaming. So I could feel the paralysis take place. I can, uh, start visually and auditorily hearing, um, you know, the dream experience happening. And then I, um, you know, it, it, it becomes so realistic that oftentimes I don't know if I'm actually dreaming yet or not. And I'm still laying there in my bed and I, I don't know, if the dream is actually taking place or not. So I have to get sometimes get out of bed and go walk around the room and do like jumping jacks or something like that in hopes that I'm like still dreaming and not annoying my wife, you know, and oftentimes I'm actually dreaming. So then I continue, continue on with the dream or something like that. But, um, and I'm, I'm somebody that experienced sleep paralysis, um, at times as well. So I have, lucid dreams out of sleep paralysis um and a lot of people naturally do that so um like you said it's very hard to train somebody to have those experiences just because of the complications of the the brain and the body actually trying to test you to make sure that you're asleep prior to dreaming and um 
if you consciously understand those tests, then you can kind of resist them so that you don't um, uh, respond to them so that your brain and body actually goes into dreams, the dreaming mode without um, knowing that you're actually still awake. So it takes a lot of lot of practice for most people. Some people naturally can do this, you know, uh, just like anything. Some people are kind of gifted in a way, you could say. But, um, you know, for most of us, it takes a lot of work to kind of get to that point. I have this friend who he is doing this direct way and he's very skilled at it. And he told me something that I thought was fascinating. He said that uh, if you uh, go directly into a lucid dream uh, without breaking consciousness and in that dream you go to bed and sleep and then when you then you when you wake up in the dream you uh your um that's your new reality you know what i mean and he said uh, one time he lived the whole life like that like he he li- lived for and then when he finally woke up for real uh it it's been like 40 years but it's only been an, a night you know wow yeah I've heard those experiences. I've never really, I've experienced um, dramatic amounts of time in dreams that, you know, I I sat there and uh, my initial belief was that I had spent a large sum of time um, in the dream. But dreams are kind of funny because, you know, like if you try to recall a dream um, and many dreams that I've had, I've been doing, I do weird things, you know, like that, that don't make sense to my normal life but they absolutely make sense in the dream that everything's perfectly fine you know i'm this weird this strange person i've never met before or something like that i know all the people around me so what i'm kind of getting at is like it's hard to really know um what you know in a dream you know instead of being presented this narrative that say you had been asleep for 40 years and this is your family and things like that um as you wake up you know because that's kind of the the narrative of the dream. It's a lot like a movie where um, you have this, you kind of self-generate this background of this character you're watching um, without actually having to expend the years that the character um, supposedly went through in order to get to the point that they are in the story. You know, you kind of assume and make believe that all these things happen. So, you know, from I'm not going to go and discredit your your friend's experience and saying, oh, he really didn't spend, you know, the 40 years of dream time inside the dream or whatever. But I, from my experiences, I would say it's very hard for me to really know if that time I spent in the dream actually existed or if it's just a kind of narrative that I've had of the the dream world um, kind of given to me so that I self-believe that I've kind of spent that time in there. I definitely have had um, dream experiences where I have false awakenings, and it's, it's a lot like what your uh, friend's kind of describing, where you wake up in a in a dream to be in a in another dream and um and then you believe that that is a real uh waking world experience until you wake up again and that's really common in lucid dreams as well and can also be a bit terrifying um for some and i've definitely had it where at least wake up at least 10 times in a dream um without physically waking up and i get to the point where i'm actually looking around and being like okay you know like um am i ever going to wake up and 
uh, one of them, you know, I thought I, I thought I had for sure passed away in my sleep. Like I, I must've stopped breathing or something, you know, I was like, Oh, this is it. You know, I'm, this is, this is the reality I'm in now. I'm in a dream world and forever. And that I had somehow passed away in my sleep. And then I actually woke up. So I was pretty happy about that. But, um, you know, these false awakenings and, um, like your friend was kind of describing can be pretty intense. You know, they can be, uh, they can be as real as reality and they can last a very long time. And sometimes, you know, you get a little stuck and you can feel like, uh, you may never get out of them. So, yeah, I, I suffered when I was a kid uh, from, I had this reoccurring nightmare and it was all about false awakening where I, uh, my mom, she worked nights and, uh, well, I was about 12 or something. So I slept alone in the apartment and uh, I always got paranoid that the door wasn't locked. So I always made sure before I went to bed, I felt the door that it was locked. And then I went to bed and then, like, I woke up late in the evening, in the, at night, walked up and checked it that the door was locked. It was still locked, but because that was real. But then I did it in my dream, and it wasn't locked, you know. And then, uh, so I and and then in the dream, of course, you can't lock it. You know, it doesn't matter how much I tried to lock it, it didn't. I couldn't lock it. And of course, some monster or something is coming, of course. And then, uh, you know, I go back to bed. I, I so, so it's like very confusing because sometimes when you get up when I got up it was real and sometimes it wasn't and uh, the scariest moment was one time when I went out to check the door the monster was there you know it already arrived you know it's like fuck so it's a and uh, the only way to get out of the loop this is pretty dark though but (laughs) the only way I could get out of this loop was for me to jump into the water and drown myself and when I died I woke up so I, I always had to save myself by killing myself that's how i woke up yeah um yeah i mean you know you brought up an important part that this is kind of dark and you know um i think most people you know including myself oftentimes uh kind of focus on the the positive side of dreams you could say quote unquote positive side and i that's not my experience at all. You know, like most of, I'd say most of the dreams that were really powerful and impactful to me were very dark and, um, disturbing, you know, they're the ones that disturbed me and caused me to want to change and to grow. And, you know, fear is a very good motivator and very energetic force that pushes us to remember and actually do something about, um, the situation we're in. So, you know, some of my more dark dreams and including death and facing death inside the dream experience itself were the ones that really I can recall and look back and say that was a pivotal point in my life that really changed how I saw reality. And, you know, from your short description of your dream, they they coincide with a lot of my dreams as well with monsters and facing those monsters and allowing them to actually, um, uh, facing them without fear, you know, and then learning that, um, kind of experience and, um, allowing myself to, to grow from that. So, you know, uh, lucid dreams are great in that they, give people um, experiences and allow them to 
be in a safe environment to experience some of these things, but there are no way, um, just happy, fun times, you know, like they, they can have some of the worst, uh, imaginable experiences from them in the sense that they're absolutely terrifying because they are so realistic that you cannot tell the difference sometimes between um, waking reality and the dream. And that's kind of a lesson itself. You know, if you know anything about alchemy, um, you know, they, the separation between the dream world and waking reality are very, um, at a very fine line. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a great tool um, to learn from. And I'd say that most of my, um, you know, most of my experience in dreams and what I really try to convey to people now, especially, uh, I just, um, in my book that's being published is not so much about how to have the experience that's, that's there, you know, and it's easy to find. You can pretty much go anywhere on the internet and find, uh, the techniques that I'm talking about. You can go on my website. They're, they're freely discussed there. Um, but the main thing that I think people forget about is what to really do after the fact. And it's not like, um, I'm sitting here telling you, oh, you know, interact with the dream this way or that way. What I'm saying is like, there's a, um, kind of a language conveyed through dreams and it's not a language that we normally are taught how to convey with something, how to communicate with something and how to learn from something. It's a language that is unique to the dream world and it's through um, kind of being okay with things and to listen and to learn. But that language is a very important thing when trying to understand your relationship to your dreams and what they're trying to to tell you. And it's kind of like your own personal mythic story, you know? So like um, imagine yourself in in Roman times or Greek times and you're writing a a mythology about your own personal life and these characters and the experiences that you're having with these godlike figures in your dreams are actually um, your myth, you know, your story that you're you're creating. And so you're you're living your own personal mythic story. And I think that's a lost art today is really learning how to um, how to live with the dream, you know, and how to be a friend with the dream instead of like uh, this something separate from you that that happens at night and then you wake up and it's gone, you know, and it's not a big deal. Yeah, I find it fascinating that the emotions from the dream can linger. I actually had one last night where one of my cats died and I woke up. Uh, I was sad in the dream, of course. I woke up, I got went to work. I kind of forgot about the dream, you know, because I woke up. Oh, good, it was only a dream. And then I uh, went to work and that. But all day today, I had this, like, uh, in my, you know, that this feeling in my stomach, like something's wrong. And it took a while before I realized that, oh, it's because I'm upset my cat died, but it didn't die. It's alive. It was a dream, you know. But the emotion, the this subconscious emotion linger and I've had that happen to me many times where something happened in the dream and uh, like for instance like the police is looking for me and I wake up and I, I'm still paranoid but they're not looking for me anymore it takes a while to like stabilize yeah definitely it could take a, a long time um, yeah I mean dreams are very imp- uh, powerful and I've had similar dreams where you know I, I dream of somebody um, somebody I've never met before, I don't know, and 
I fall in love with them and they have such a profound like connection to me that I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this powerful loving connection, you know, that it's like almost hard to experience in, in reality. And you wake up and you're like, you feel this deep sense of loss, you know, like this person that you connect with so um, powerfully is just removed from your life suddenly and you'll never you may never see them again you know and that's like um can be very powerful but at the same time you know it's like suffering that you can feel from that you know and yeah i'm glad you mentioned that because i was I, that was the thing i was going to mention next yeah i also had a very strong falling in love with somebody in a dream and that that was like 30 years ago and i still I still almost remember that person as one of my exes, you know. Yeah. Yeah, um you know, I uh today if you're in Amer- I don't I don't know if you're in America or um pay attention to American culture or anything. Uh but it's kind of a world phenomenon is like this the psychedelic movement and the power of psychedelics. And people, you know, they talk about psychedelics being like the most powerful experience they've ever had in their entire life. And I, you know, I take a look at that and I'm like, I mean, I've, I've had powerful experiences from psychedelics that have changed my life, but I've also had dreams that are just as powerful, you know, if not more so. And, you know, these profound, super hyper-realistic experiences of people that I've met in dreams, you know, or things I've experienced that, you know, I never probably will ever see again, you know, and they can be absolutely life-changing my my dream before i got out of the military was so life-changing that i gave up a military career of 14 years 20 years is retirement and i got up and completely changed my life completely from where it was to where it is now and just because you know of that one profound dream um it would take you know something very powerful for that to, to occur and i've heard of other people having the same thing you know so uh you know it's it's not that these experiences these psychedelics experiences and dreams are are different they're actually very much so related but the experiences themselves also can be equally profound in dreams that they are from outside you know forces that you can take like psychedelics or something like that so you know um additionally you know something i think about recently is like um Every single night you go to sleep and you have the most insane realistic hallucinations, you know, that you could ever really imagine. And you wake up and you completely just forget about them as if they're nothing, you know. And it's like, what was if we, uh, you know, treated them as as if they were psychedelics in a way <laughs> and, and or, you know, hallucination like isn't it so weird that we like do that but nobody really even discusses it you know it's just like oh it's just a dream it's like well what what you know like this is insane that we have this you know so and it's also culturally in uh, culturally wrong to tell somebody you dreamt about them uh unless it's like a close friend or somebody but it could be weird if it's like uh, somebody at work and you're like, yeah, I dreamt about you last night. You know, it can be. <laughs> yeah. They'll be like, oh, you know, they immediately may think it's like um, you're obsessed with them or something like that, you know. And um, yeah, 
I remember one time I had a, dr- a really long, really uh, vivid dream uh, where I was uh, hanging out with Tom Cruise, of all people, and I really got to know him and that. And he's like, I don't, I don't care about Tom Cruise. I don't know why he appeared, but, uh, you know, so it, you don't have to be obsessed by somebody to, for them to, like, end up in a dream, you know. And I o- almost feel to this, because that dream was so vivid, if I ever meet Tom Cruise, I'm, I'm really, I really want to meet him now to see if how he was in private if that was how he is in reality (laughs) right yeah yeah i've had uh similar things happen where random um seemingly random people you know from tv or something like that will pop into my dreams and i'll have a very in-depth conversation with them or they'll you know act a certain way and i'll be like wow that's different than what i would have thought you know like of them on uh as a person you know and uh, something I I do personally, I I don't you know want to encourage other people to do it or whatever. They can do whatever they want, but every time that I dream of somebody um, in my life that I know, either you know kind of personal people, you know, like that I really know or acquaintances, whatever that I still keep in contact with, um, I always send them a message, you know, like a text message or an email or something like that. Just say, hey, how you doing? You know, just trying to catch up or something like that. That way, you know, like uh, I'm kind of honoring the dream in a way, you know, because it's bringing up something about that person that is important to me. And I'm just catching up with them to see how they're doing. So it kind of reminds me just to keep up with people. And it's been very beneficial, I think, in my life is uh, doing that because a lot of people today don't really take the time to talk to each other so much. You know, they kind of forget about, especially in the military, they forget it. once you leave and stuff, you, you're kind of forgotten about so I kind of do that just to uh, honor that dream and also honor that person a little bit and see see what happens, you know. Sometimes it's very interesting, too. Like sometimes they had dreams about me at the same time, you know, or they'll be thinking about me. They'll be like, oh, I was just thinking about you, you know. It's like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so it's very actually very common for them to, to be thinking of me when I, uh, when I had a dream of them. So You should look up Cheldrake. He's done a lot of research on that kind of thing. Uh, okay, you have to send me the link so I can uh, check them out. One other technique that I find that I use m- most of the time when I have a lucid dream is the uh, if I ever read something or w- look at a clock in a dream, uh, you can't usually the letters are usually scrambled and you can't tell the time, and that reminds me that I'm dreaming and that's how I wake up. Yeah, um, that's a good technique too. It's called um, reality check induced lucid dreaming. So you can use like a an icon or something like that, or a clock, or a light switch, or your hands um, to kind of um, ask yourself during the day if you're lucid dreaming or not. So you know, a common thing that people do is they look at their hands and they ask themselves, "Am I dreaming?" You know, so like what would happen, um, and it works. You know, is you'll wake, you'll be in a dream, and then you'll remember to look at your hands and ask yourself if you're dreaming. And so you'll look at your hands and be like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm obviously dreaming. So it's kind of an interesting thing that happens in that situation. If you really kind of pull that apart, um, because most of the time when I was doing that technique, I would become aware in the dream almost instantly that I was dreaming. And then I'd go look at my hands. So I'd be like, Oh yeah, I'm dreaming. I got to remember to look at my hands instead of like, look at my hands and then realize I'm dreaming. Um, 
another case would be like the clock, you know, looking at the clock and throughout the day and be like, oh, you know, the clock's working the way it should. I'm obviously um, awake. And then I'd go to sleep and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I got to find the clock. And so I'd go look for the clock and then I'd look at the clock and be like, oh, yeah, see, it's not working. So it's kind of an interesting uh, dynamic there where it's not necessarily like the the object and doing the technique that's actually causing me to become lucid. It's the intention and the energy put behind trying to be aware while awake and in the dream that kind of transfers over to being uh, awake in the dream. Uh, a good dream of mine that I had this happen was um, where I had created a, I had a, a sleep paralysis type dream where I opened my eyes and in the corner of my room was a panda bear um, eating bamboo and it terrified the shit out of me. And I can't really explain why it was so scary. And I, I just felt terrified and he didn't react or anything. He just kept eating bamboo. So, but then I got this idea after I woke up um, that I would use the panda as like an icon in my dreams. So anytime I saw a panda, I would know I was dreaming. So I, throughout the day, I really thought of this image. I, I even went and made like a, like a um, clay panda and like painted it and everything and to put in my room. So I was really into this panda uh, icon. Well, it worked in a sense that I went to sleep and I immediately became aware that I was dreaming and I was like, I have to go find a panda. So the rest of the dream I spent trying to find a person that was the panda and I, I eventually found them and it was a guy and he had like black kind of eyes and like he was sleepy or something. And I was like, Oh, this, this guy kind of looks like a panda. And I was like, Hey, are you, are you the panda? And he's like, yes, I am. And I was like, Oh my God, I finally found you, you know, like this is amazing. And then I had a long conversation about him, about dreams and reality and stuff. But at the same, you know, like recalling from that, I'm like, Oh, it wasn't like the, the icon of the panda that really got me um, to be aware in the dream. It was more all the energy and effort that I spent to be aware, you know, hyper aware while I was awake. And then that awareness transferred over to the sleep. But what the icon of the panda really did was kind of give my dream and an, an image, a body to kind of like take form of that could be like my guide or guru kind of thing, you know, in the dream. So it was kind of a, it's kind of a complex thing that happened there, you know? And one last thing that kind of is <laughs> concerning with reality checks, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, the, the movie inception kind of got it right in that I've had these experiences where um, I'm using reality checks. They work perfectly fine, but then I have, I'm, I'm in a dream. I'm certain I'm in a dream and I go to do the same thing that I normally do, like look at the um, the clock or I look at or I flip the light switch or something or I look at my hands and it's just as real and it works just as well if I'm awake. And I'm like, OK, you know, like I flip the light switch on and off as fast as I possibly can. And it does exactly what it does when I'm awake. So then I'm sitting there. I'm like, OK, am I actually asleep or am I awake? You know, I I start getting confused. And, you know, there's there's some lessons in there, I think. And, um, you know, a lot of a lot of the dreams, I think, are to convey a message of this connection between the dream world 
you know, the psychology around what an actual dream is and the psychology of what actually reality is, you know, and this, the alchemical link in between those two, um, I think is being conveyed through this, the message of this hyper-realistic dream experience, you know? So uh, that's just usually why I don't really teach the reality check method as much as like the others, because they're just highly susceptible to failure <laughs> once you get into uh, trying to check everything. And also it kind of creates that confusion of like what's inducing the lucid experience. Is it the, the intention or is it the, um, the reality check item itself? It made me think of something because I, I uh, when the reality check I use is I look at my wristwatch and if I can't tell the time I'm dreaming, but I just realized something when you talked is that I hate wristwatches. So in fact, I never wear one. So the only time I wear one is in a dream. So it's, I sh- in fact, I just realized if I have a wristwatch, that should be enough, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think you'll find that say if you're focused on this, the wristwatch and you're like, Oh, you know, I'll, I'll be aware once I, if I wear wristwatch in my dream, then I'm aware, I'm, I'm dreaming, you know, because I don't wear one while I'm awake. You'll find, I'm certain of this, that you'll be aware before you even look at your wrist to find out if you're wearing the watch or not. You'll be lucid. So it's kind of like a, it's a weird effect, you know, and people don't really discuss that with, especially reality checks. They don't discuss that the awareness happens before they actually check the, the thing most of the time and the danger is if i dream and i don't have a wristwatch is what you're saying <laughs> yeah i mean there the uh it's not a, i wouldn't say a danger because um there's definitely i mean there's not much danger in lucid dreaming you know um <laughs> usually wake up so that's good um you know but you'll for you'll you may you may wake up in the dream and not be aware and or be aware and look down at your wrist you're like okay i'm pretty sure that i'm dreaming right now right and then you looked at your wrist and there's no wristwatch and then you're like ah man now i'm <laughs> i'm still awake you know and then you wake up and you're like ah the dream got me you know like they pulled a fast one on me but um but one thing that's always uh, bothered me or something I can't figure out, like when you're in a really realistic dream, usually when you, when it's not lucid because you don't know it's a dream, so you think everything is real. and and But then when you wake up, you instantly, you, you have this feeling that, no, this is real. You know, you, could, you can tell when you're awake that it's, you're awake. But you also have the same certainty when you're dreaming the confusing bit for me is now when I'm awake and I know I'm awake and I'm sure, you know, I was sure in the dream. So how can I be sure now? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and, and I mean, I have absolutely the same kind of, uh, feeling that you have like the, even though it's super hyper realistic in a dream and I, I'm pretty sure, you know, I'm having an out of body experience. Essentially. I, I realize, you know, I leave, my body, um, everything looks exactly the way it should, you know, as it is when I'm awake and I feel like I'm 100% awake and it's so realistic. I can't tell the difference between, you know, waking and, and dreaming. And then I wake up and there's still a difference. You know, there's still a, a sense of maybe pressure or something like that, that is different than when I'm dreaming and, 
and then I immediately know that I'm awake, you know, even if it's like, uh, some of those false awakening dreams I'm talking about where I'm like, Oh God, I'm, I'm, I died in my sleep somehow, you know, and this is, this is the new reality I'm in. Even those, I, I still feel a sense of difference when I wake up out of those that reminds me of how, uh, reality actually feels. But the, like you said, when you're in a dream, it can be when you wake up and you, you recall the dream, you're like, how did I think that was real? You know, like all these crazy things are going on. And I totally think that that is like as real as anything else, you know? And I think there's a big lesson to be learned in that, you know, of like how, um, how our minds can make things real that are unreal, you know, quote unquote unreal. I think everything's real. Even dreams are real. They're just a different form of real than, say, waking reality is real. And, um, but, you know, it's important to understand the limitations of our own minds in waking reality to what is actually real and happening. You know, re- physical reality is as real as you and I can experience right now, you know, and, um, and it's important that we live our lives to the fullest and, and really kind of engage with this experience as much as we can. But to believe, you know, that waking reality is not like a dream, you know, where it's, it's as real as we think it is until we experience something else, you know, is, uh, there's no evidence for that, you know, in fact, there's more evidence that says that we're, we are very limited to what we're experiencing right now. And, the same goes for a dream, you know. We know when we're dreaming that it's as real as it can possibly get. And then we wake up, there's an there's another experience of reality, you know. So I, I don't know how most people do this. Uh I just assume but I do it when I'm lazy, you know. When I when I close my eyes, uh it's just black, you know, dark. And so when I go to bed, I close my eyes, it's dark and I'm trying to go to sleep. Or if I'm thinking about something, I could, like, I have, like, uh, images of things I'm thinking about, but I'm not really seeing it, I'm just kind of remembering it. But uh, you can also see, when you close your eyes, you can also realistically see what you're thinking. And, And there's a big difference, I don't know if, I don't know how other people have it, but you know, like you can think about a tree when you close your eyes. It's black, but you can still think about the tree and see the tree, but you don't really see it. It's like a memory or you can actually see it. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like uh, when you're daydreaming or something, you can run through things and uh, see things. I, I develop like websites sometimes and I get oddly obsessed with like website designing even when I'm not on a computer designing it and um, you know I can see the website I can see the layout I can start moving stuff around in my mind the way that I'm going to do it eventually maybe you know and but it's all blank you know there's no like graphics happening here it's just like me imagining stuff and I don't really see it you know with my eyes but I see it with my mind you know um, so I get what you're saying you know like uh, when I'm going to sleep and I'm imagining things that I'm uh, being creative or whatever, I can, I can see those things, you know, but they're not with like my eyes. There's, they're different, but they're still there, you know? 
and they can be very real too, you know. Um, some people, you know, when I was a kid, I would hear about people having these very vivid daydreams, and I thought they were, you know, just not uh, telling the truth or whatever. But the more, you know, I interact with other people, and they're some of these people are very gifted in their imagination. I start realizing that they're essentially having lucid dreamlike experiences while they're awake. And, um, you know, the, the imagination is probably the most, to me, it's the most powerful thing there is. And everything that you ever experience is first imagined before you actually experience it. So, you know, like, uh, uh, physical reality is imagined in your mind. And you have senses that bring in the information into your mind for sure. You know, like uh, you can hear, you can feel, you can taste, you can see, but all those things are put inside the neurons inside your brain and expressed through them of what you're experiencing. Everything is imagined in that sense. And it's also pre-processed before you even get the result saying like, this is it. So there's been plenty of research to show this is a you know it's a sign it's a psychological fact now you know that this is what is occurring to us so anything that you can experience in waking reality can be imagined in the mind because it is you know it has to be that's how it works there's just you know uh for dream experiences there's not the feedback loop of the physical senses you know giving you feedback and other people screaming at you that this is like what you're imagining isn't real, you know? They're like, no, 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 I see this and you don't, you know? And you're like, okay, well, what you see and I see must be must be real, you know? So um, those are the, there's not, a, there's very minor differences between waking reality and a dream experiences, to be honest with you. There's just the outside input that's uh, that's there for the, the waking reality. I always think about that when I uh, see some something that I really like, like music or a film or, or a book or anything that I enjoy more than other things. Like uh, when you see a masterpiece or something like that, I always, oh, I always think about uh, how it was imagined or if it's an invention, a new invention in like how it was imagined because everything that exists except, I guess, nature was imagined by humans That's at some point, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And what is the imagination and where does it come from? You know, where do these ideas come from? You know, that's a that's a very big question. I think that people, um, if they have the time and energy, they should reflect on because it may lead them into some interesting paths. You know, what is what is technology? What is imagination? What is creativity? Those are things I think people um, and scientists should really be focusing on. Um, to kind of understand the nature of uh, reality itself. So, Has there been any research done f- with a person that does have a lucid dream and they have a lucid dream, like a long lucid dream, are they equally rested as somebody who doesn't? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have seen some research showing that and there's uh, supposedly no negative effects from lucid dreaming. But I, I will tell you that um from my own personal research that people that commonly lucid dream naturally uh usually have some type of sleep disorder so um you know narcolepsy um is a really um if you interview if you 
talk to people with narcolepsy, you start realizing that they're all lucid dreamers naturally. So, um, you know, and it's very, it's almost a hundred percent of narcoleptics have lucid dreams and sleep paralysis. Those are kind of like the key, um, indicators that you have, uh, some form of narcolepsy. So, you know, um, I wouldn't say that lucid dreams are necessarily a normal thing that people have, you know, cause most people don't have lucid dreams and they, a lot of, a lot of people don't remember their dreams at all, you know, and there's reasons for that. If you really go deep into it, there's reasons why, um, the brain doesn't recall dreams, um, during sleep and that's kind of healthy. So what I would say is doing lucid dream techniques and stuff like that is kind of training your brain to act a way that's abnormal from being a normal person, right? It doesn't mean that it's necessarily a bad thing because it's allowing you to experience something that you typically wouldn't, but where something becomes kind of um, negative is when it starts affecting normality of a person's life, you know, and they can't deal with it. I can tell you from experience, my personal experiences, as well as countless other people that have had gone down the road of lucid dreams and trying to really dive into it is that it can be a very um, ungrounding and disorientating experience. And it can cause you to have anxiety and depression and, and many different things because you are essentially um, questioning you know, what is real, what is, um, important to you, you know, and things like that. And for some people that can be very troubled, troubling and can cause some problems. Um, for most people it's perfectly fine, but what I do recommend is people not really push the envelope. If they feel they're going through some type of, you know, process and they need to take some time out. Um, and, and that's, again, why I always ask the question of why somebody's having trying to have these experiences, you know? Um, are they trying to uh, achieve some type of control, you know, that they, they don't normally have in their life? Are they trying to face things that they can't really face well? Um, you know, these are – people are very complex and they have their own reasons. And it, and it's hard to really get down to the, the depths of why somebody wants to have these experiences, and some people are called to it, you know, and they really feel like they're this is their calling and they need to experience it. And and so I don't really sit there and judge people and say, oh, you, you shouldn't do this or you should do that. It's on the individual. It's their um, their duty duty to be honest with themselves because it's the only person they can be honest with, you know, truly. But you can have the lucid dreams where you're like controlling it and uh, so... Uh, you can like choose to just have a fun dream or a fun lucid dream experience. Yeah. Uh, um, I, sometimes, sometimes you can. <laughs> um, uh, I would also say that uh, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. So, um, you know, it, it has a mind of its own too. It's still the dream. Um, you know, that brings up a, a good conversation into what really is lucid dreaming and is it possible to be lucid in a dream i know that you know you and i are talking about it being possible because otherwise we wouldn't be talking about lucid dreaming but 
there is a lot of debate around that subject because of how a lucid dream is. And it's kind of a hard thing to describe, but I'll try to do my best. So, you know, you and I talked about this this understanding that we when we go into a dream, you know, we're we're we have this understanding that everything that we're experiencing is um, real, and we know who we are, and all the bizarreness that we're experiencing is you know perfectly fine, and there's no problems with it, right? Like a, a normal dream. Well, in a dream experience that you become lucid um you have the memory of being lucid you have the awareness that's there right you 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 are in the dream and suddenly you become aware or you're you did the direct method and you're you never lost uh, awareness and you're in the dream and what i say is that there's a possibility that that experience is another one of those memory um kind of memory induced dreams right where you go oh yes i'm i'm lucid and aware and i'm in control but all the actions and the intentions that you have inside the dream are actually memories that were implanted in there to cause you to do those things does that make sense so you're there's the possibility that dream dreaming is more of like a written script and your character playing the you're a character that has memorized the character that you're playing and all the emotions of that character and you're reading the script and you're doing your job exactly perfect. So perfect that you can't tell the difference between um, being absolutely really aware and the character you're playing. That's a very uh, possible thing. So it's very possible that no one is actually really lucid, 100% lucid in a dream. And the Buddhists um, that practice Tibetan um, dream yoga say the exact same thing. They say there is that when you are dreaming at all, when you have any form of dream whatsoever, you are not aware. They call it a white light dream. And they call it the white light dream because there is no dream. It is beyond the dream. And it's there's nothing. And that is the only aware state that anybody can actually ever achieve not having a dream so it's like a it's like having a narrator that's always one step ahead of you anywhere you look is is the the dream narrator it's going to generate the dream experience all the memories of the experience prior for you to even experience it so it knows it knows what you think it knows what you're going to think it knows what you remember what you remember how you're going to act prior to you even doing it. So there's really like, um, it's always one step ahead of you. It's debatable. That's when you end the reincarnation. If you, uh, if you stop dreaming, you know, when, when you wake up, you wake up into nothingness, I guess. Then. Right. They, I mean, the Tibetan Buddhists, um, that practice dream yoga and eventually get to the point that you're describing. I mean, th- these people are alive still, you know, they, um, but that's what they're trying to achieve. They they describe it. You know, they've had it. I've had white uh, white light dreams before, as described by them. I'm not sure if it's the same one as them or not. You know, there's no way to really know. Um, I'm not sure either. But I did have one one time. It was one of the few times I woke up screaming. <laughs> Nothingness can be quite intense. <laughs> you know, 
because I was still in my body, you know, so I wasn't really, I, I'm not sure it was what that kind of dream. Maybe I was, I was just peeking around the corner, you know. <laughs> Somebody recently said the exact same thing. I'm pretty certain, like in the last week to me. So um, they said that uh, if I remember correctly, it was a white light type dream and, and they woke up absolutely screaming and terrified. And I was like, I questioned that. I was like, why would you be so scared of that? You know, but, um, but I, I see, you know, like why, why these, ex these experiences create such emotion, you know, like, um, a lot of people, um, they get scared of like the black void, um, type dreams that sometimes you can have, especially with the direct method. I've encountered this void like space. That's just like, um, it's eternally dark, you know, and it, it's not like a, to me, it's not an uncomfortable darkness. It's just like, it, it feels like home, you know, like completely secure, everything's great blackness. But for some people, that's absolutely terrifying, you know, like a void that goes on for infinity. I don't know why I react that way. You know, no one ever told me, hey, when you see this black void thing, it's perfectly, you know, you're going to feel great. You know, no one ever said that to me um so it's like or you know like when you see this white light you know dream experience thing that's undescribable in the first place you're going to feel absolute terror no one told you to to ex feel that you know it's these experiences that you experience in these states are beyond anything you can read write about or describe to somebody else without having that experience it's beyond the visual it's beyond the auditory. It's like the completeness of that experience is something unimaginable almost, you know? So to convey the terror that you felt from that whiteness is impossible, you know? It's impossible for you to do that. I did uh, make uh, peace with it. Uh, many years later, I did an ayahuasca ceremony and I it happened again but this time it was the most amazing thing i ever seen so uh, but i did recognize it uh, but uh, so uh, yeah i've seen it as g good and bad but i don't know if either of those was the thing that the the monks talk about but it's uh, it was the whiteness you know <laughs> yeah i think uh, you bring up a really good point is this um and i mentioned it before is like working with these things you know like the the things that cause terror and I can go into like a uh, dream experiences um, real quick about that subject. And it may help some other people that have kind of terrifying experiences. So that's okay. The, the first sleep paralysis experience that I ever really had, um, I was in the military and um, I was laying on my stomach in my bed and I, I worked nights. So it was daytime and I felt somebody jump on my back and they pushed me into the bed and I couldn't, I couldn't lift my head or anything. And I thought it was a friend of mine that was kind of like somebody that lived in my house with me. And he kind of was a jokester. So he's, you know, kind of doing things like that. So I, I got really mad and went to swing to hit him and he, and there was nobody in my room. So it absolutely, you know, was scary. It's terrifying for me already off the bat. I was like, what is happening? You know? And I had no idea like what sleep paralysis was, what lucid dreaming really was or anything like that. So I just didn't understand anything that was happening. And a few days later, you know, I started having visitations, uh, what we 
commonly call them, is um, I'm in sleep paralysis and something enters my room, right? It's a visitor, right? <laughs> and um, the character, it looked a lot like the Grim Reaper, right? And a very terrifying uh, figure uh, coming into my room and obviously not my friend. And, um, and I also can't move. So that's terrifying in itself, you know? And, um, this happened a number of times where I couldn't move and this thing just kept coming in my room and physically attacking me. So, um, the dream ended with, so, you know, uh, supposedly ended with me eventually getting up the courage to face this thing and not really, um, you know, taking a shit anymore, essentially standing up. And I, I thought of the only thing I could think of, and that was to eat it. So I ate it. And, um, as I ate it, it was screaming and just fighting for its life. And eventually I ate the whole thing and then it went away. And ever since then, you know, I have these out of body experiences and I, I still have sleep paralysis, um, often. And, but it all started with that experience. And so when I, I tell this, these dreams, you know, I was, I was in my class in Pacifica and I was telling the students about these, um, these dream experiences and they're just like terrified, you know, and they're like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry that this happened to you and stuff. And that's not like what I feel at all. And what I feel is a sense of healing from these things. Like the amount of fear that I felt in that dream and the amount of overcoming that fear and like being okay with that fear was absolutely a healing experience. And when I have sleep paralysis now and I experience like visitors, visitations in my dream, I typically no longer really react to them negatively. I usually um, try to understand them or try to work with them or try to understand like my personal relationship to that thing and, and try to work with it instead of like being fearful of it. You know, I think fear is driven by what we don't understand and like if you understand something, you're not really fearful of it anymore because you can either um, you can either resist it, you know, and you know how to do that, or you can accept it and you know how to do that. So there's no real fear associated with it. Fear is kind of um, something that we don't understand. We create fear out of it. So you know, um, you know, nightmares and things like that. I don't really see them the same way as other people tend to anymore because of these experiences they become very healing for me and um you working with your 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 white light terror dream you know in the ayahuasca sessions is exactly i think the point of that experience and you may not even understand like what working with it meant you know and and doing that you may have just kind of done that but deep down inside you you know like that encounter and then encountering it again and working through it was a very deep um needed thing to make you to become a better person you know in some way so um you know i think i think people just need to kind of realize that about dream is like um fear and terror doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing it just it's a reaction you know and and you're learning and you're progressing and you're doing something that won't allow you to grow into a better person i think a few years ago i read this article when it started getting popular some journalist wrote an article and they interviewed this woman who said uh, that uh, 
uh, yeah, she drank ayahuasca, and uh, at one point she she was screaming out in fear, you know. And then like the article ended, and they said, "Look how 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 what a shitty drug this is! Don't do it." And I was like, "Well, that sounds like the great experience, you know? Like that's where you want to be." Uh, so the journalist obviously, you know, didn't understand what uh, he or she was writing about because uh, my best ayahuasca experiences were the ones that were. I mean, I've had uh, nightmares, but uh, compared to my nightmarish ayahuasca sessions uh they they're way worse and i've had some that uh you know like i'm never doing this again ever and you know like usually before the ayahuasca ceremony is over i don't know if it happens to other people but it's almost like a uh, ayahuasca an ayahuasca ceremony to me is always like a feel-good movie it always ends with, it always has a happy ending towards the end, you know, like it always somehow all the plot points get solved. Uh, but in the middle of the ceremony, it's like the the darkest bit where or when, when you have the horrible section, uh, you, you think this will never get solved. Uh, but then eventually it does. But I'm I'm sure some people have other experiences. But for me, it's always been like that. And uh, but I've always also been having the intention that I want it solved. You know, uh, and uh, and uh, even if it's not fully solved by the end of one ceremony, it will be solved in the next one. You know, like it's a continuation. And uh, I always advise people if they do psychedelics. I don't know if it's true or not, but I haven't. I have my experience is that. If you really want to have the more difficult, challenging uh, psychedelic experiences, you you do the ceremony when it's the full moon. Because I don't know why it always makes them more crazy for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I've I've had my sh- fair share of ayahuasca experiences, and I can uh, attest to that um, kind of peak experience terror um really dark sometimes experience and then at the end it's it's kind of like uh you know it's solved not really solved but the uh this you know it's everything's kind of wrapped up and now you're you're kind of gliding to the end you know like you're you're i think you described it very well um or it could be also that uh, when it's over you're like you're so happy you know like that it's yeah. over so that can also be it's almost like uh, it's a safe way of being in a in a horrible car accident and because uh, you read about people who ha- are in horrible car accidents and then they change their life afterwards because they're so happy they sur- survived you know it's kind of like a safe way of doing that yeah it, it's always a, a workout you know i i call it like a rotor rooter cleaning out uh the neurons in your brain you know all the gunk is getting process and sometimes we like that gunk too you know so it's uh and in order to clean out some of that gunk you have to bring up very uh dark shit sometimes you know to bring it to awareness so you can actually work through it um i think dreams work the same way it's just a a longer drawn out period so it kind of sometimes it can take a lifetime for us to work through uh cleaning up some of those gunk you know the bits and during that time you know in our life uh, more gunk is added, so the dream is constantly in a process of cleaning and repairing and trying to allow you to work through that stuff. But you know, psychedelics have have a different speed than dream do does for sure. And um, 
you know it's a it's a lot more challenging sometimes experience because it it can last for a longer period of time than a dream and you can't get out of it you know um definitely feel the same um that same terror from a uh a psychedelic experiences in a false awakening sometimes where I'm like oh no like I can't get out of this, you know, when I'm in a dream and it's just like, I can't wake up. I'm like, I just have to, I'm going to have to face this thing now. So, <laughs> but it, when, intention, I'm going to try and use it more with normal dreams, but, um, uh, it, it, I've noticed that it's very effective with the, the, especially with ayahuasca, the intention and, uh, I've uh, learned from my mistakes in the past, you know, but also uh, one time I had an ayahuasca ceremony and I, I noticed right before it started that I wasn't really, I didn't really want to do it, uh, you know, like, so I, 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 I begged, I begged, uh, I prayed and begged that my, my intention was like, please take it easy. And it was the most gentle, soft, I mean, I, hardly anything happened. It was very relaxing. And I was just, the whole evening I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, like, uh, and uh, I drank uh, the next night from the same bottle, the same amount. And that time I said, okay, now I'm ready. Like, give it to me. And then, it, so it's like, how can, I mean, these people who don't understand psychedelics, they just say it's a drug, but there's no, like, if I smoke, if I have make two joints of the same weed and I smoke one every night, it's going to be the same, you know, effect. It won't, doesn't matter how much I tell it to, you know, like I'm going to get or high in either way. So it's, I find it interesting that ayahuasca can actually, it, it's almost, that's why I always feel like it's alive somehow because it can changes because it's the same. It was the same batch, you know, it's like, so it's really strange. Yeah, we try to rationalize it out, you know, as being a, a drug um, and and all that stuff, you know. And we're like, oh, we we know what's happening. This compound DMT, you know, is interfacing with your brain and you have like an MUI and it's allowing it to transfer over the blood-brain barrier and then it's going to end, you know, once it, it uh, becomes so weak in your brain, you're no longer absorbing it or using it. It's gone. And then, and then experience is gone, right? But really, um, there's no real explanation of why we have total horrific, you know, total intense hallucinations each night that we we go to sleep. You know, no one's really even understood that, to be honest with you. Like they they may uh, somebody may try to explain it as DMT and the pineal gland being produced. And, you know, I, I, I bought into that for a long time and then new research came out and it showed, you know, even if. Even if we did produce enough, uh, if we produce some DMT in the pineal gland, that's understandable. But there's nowhere enough DMT being produced in the pineal gland to cause us to have dreams every single night. Like I can go to sleep right now for, you know, uh, probably 30 minutes and have a dream, you know, a, a tense hallucination in under 30 minutes that could be completely life changing. Who knows? You know, and it's like uh, I didn't take anything to get that, you know, and. And every person on this planet has these hallucinations at least five, almost five times a night, you know, and they can last hours. And it's like, none of this makes any sense. And then I've had encounters with people, you know, and, and I've done it too, where, um, I take a psychedelic and nothing happens, you know, and it worked they, like you were saying, the exact same thing happened 
before. And it's like, what the heck? Um, <laughs> I actually have this weird case where um, I've had a few friends use the same psychedelics that I've used, exact same amount, and they've feel nothing ever. Like, and then they double the dose and quadruple the dose and still nothing, no effect whatsoever. I'm like, what is going on here? You know? Um, so, and then you, you know, like, uh, taking one and then it not working and taking the exact same thing and it working, you know, or working quote unquote. Right. Um, I, I just, I think people misunderstand what's really happening. Um, what, what the human mind really is, you know, and what these experiences are actually, um, coming from. And like, you could say you close your eyes and you, uh, you had a daydream, right? You can, you can hallucinate almost anything in your mind instantly, you know, where, what is that? You know, <laughs> what, what compound is causing that to happen in your brain, you know, where you're vividly hallucinating anything. What about these schizophrenics, you know, or, um, people, on the streets, you know, talking to themselves, they, they 100% believe that who they're talking to is a real person, you know, and there's, we don't see them, you know, um, I'm sure there's DMT in the pineal gland. I don't know, but I, I don't buy it fully for the simple reason that no, I've never had a dream that visually has ever reminded me of a psychedelic experience ever until recently because uh, I, uh, you know, I kept wishing that I would ever do psychedelics in a dream. So eventually it happened. So I, I drank some ayahuasca in a dream and I had an ayahuasca visual experience in the dream. If that was a memory, I don't know. But yeah, so that that's the only time I've seen psychedelics in a dream. But that was because I took psychedelics in the dream. But other... So... And when you when you smoke DMT, it's a bit different than ayahuasca, so it's it's even more like crazy. That kind of visual I've never ever seen in a dream. So if your dreams are made by DMT, it must be some other kind of DMT or something. Right. Well, there's explanations to what possibly is creating the um, the dream experience. That is um, very a very different uh, set of neurotransmitters, you know. But again, it's people trying to explain. Um, chemically what's causing these experiences and my background that I really didn't say you know too much because I didn't think we were really going to talk about psychedelics so much but that's perfect fine um is I started using psychedelics because I wanted to understand the relationship between dreams and psychedelics I had these dream experiences but I've never had tried to use a psychedelic before so I I really wanted to see what a psychedelic was so then I tried uh, ayahuasca as my first psychedelic, and I realized very quickly that um, they're very different. And uh, the feeling, the visuals, things like that, you know, they can be somewhat related in some ways, you know, like a, maybe an out-of-body experience. And then um, some sometimes in ayahuasca sessions, I've definitely felt like I left my body or kind of had that, um, like I had died experience and um but that can it feels very different too in with ayahuasca or psychedelics than it does from say falling asleep and then leaving your body um and i have had experiences just like you're talking about where um i'll take a psychedelic in a dream and start having hallucinations just like i'm uh 
I have taken a psychedelic and, um, and I've also had, um, visuals while waking up out of a dream. So it's called hypnopompia and, um, they can sometimes be very psychedelic in nature, like, um, the colors and fractals and stuff like that occurring, but still nowhere on the same, uh, level. I, I think that psychedelics are related to uh, dreams, but they're not the same thing. And it, DMT is not the answer that people are looking for um, in the brain. I can say that with very confident, um, say that very confidently that DMT is not what people are looking for to solve the riddle of dreams. Uh, there's one psychedelic that does resemble a dream. And that's uh, iboga, uh, from my experience. Mm, yeah, and salvia. Salvia and iboga are uh, are common to use a different set of neurotransmitters. So they activate something called the nicotonic receptors in the brain. And nicotonic receptors are thought to be what um, is related to the dream hallucination experience. Uh, there's a great video um, that kind of explains away DMT being the molecule of dreams and um, and other and other chemicals that activate the nicotonic like um, iboga, salvia, and um, gosh, I can't remember the last one. Um, uh, it's uses a nasal spray now. You may know what I'm talking about. It's a nasal spray that they use for depression now and PTSD. Um, dang, I couldn't remember last interview I did either. <laughs> um, anyways, it's a it's a psychedelic that um, they use for surgeries and stuff like that for people. They used to. Oh, uh, ketamine. Yeah, no? ketamine. Yeah, ketamine is known to cause out of body experiences for people too. So and sleep paralysis and all that good stuff. I never tried ketamine, but I've heard that uh, a common experience there is actually this white nothingness. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think those ones are much more relatable to the dream experience um, than than the DMT's uh, molecule-based um, psychedelics. So... But I did ask Ayahuasca one time, like, you, you know your MAOI and DMT mix creating this, I mean, like this very logical uh, question, and it just laughed in my face. <laughs> it, it, be, it was really ridiculous when I actually was in that experience. Uh, so the, and then also what's interesting is that uh, there's many indigenous tribes in the Amazon that use Ayahuasca only, Ayahuasca where there's no DMT and they also there's uh, they have visual experiences and healing from that and in fact uh, there's been a study done where uh, these retreat centers where people white white people can go and drink ayahuasca uh, the the more touristy they are the more DMT they put in it Meaning that the, the the most pure form of the ayahuasca is the one with the least DMT. In fact, the clue is in the name because if the imported ingredient was the DMT, they would have called that brew chakruna. Right. Yeah, it's uh, 
it's interesting, you know, like um, the when shamans are doing, you know, in, in South America, when the shamans are doing the healing on the patient, you know, they they um, aren't necessarily taking the the psychedelic, you know, they they naturally go there, so they, um, you know, and and sometimes it's the other way too, like the shaman takes it and the the patient doesn't, so. It's very confusing, you know. Like the whole subject's very confusing when you really go into it. It's like, um, what are shamans' experiences? How are they initiated? What what are they seeing? How are they seeing this? What is the compounds? What is all this stuff, you know? And what is dreams? What is imagination? Um, you know, and it's uh, you brought up an interesting memory of mine with a dream. It's like I've done the same thing in dream experiences. It's like um, I go in and I I tell the dream character that i'm dreaming them you know to see what their reaction is you know i'm like hey man you're like i'm dreaming you right now you know how do you feel about that and their response is kind of like one of uh the same kind of response where they kind of laugh and they go no 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 i'm dreaming you and you're like oh shit (laughs) you know you're like okay you have to grow up in that culture to fully understand it i mean one ceremony i did one ceremony in the amazon where I, did, I wasn't so much aware of it myself, but I was told afterwards the next day that uh, uh, we were attacked during the ceremony by uh, brujos. Like I, I call them the the sit of the Amazon, you know. And um, yeah, 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 pretty accurate. So they like attacked the ceremony, and they uh, but they managed to like somehow stopped them and i was like oh that's amazing you know like yeah i thought i thought that was pretty cool <laughs> yeah um you know it's a it's it i don't i as somebody that studies dreams i'll tell you that and other altered experiences that the more i d- dive into it the less i know and um and i think that's an important thing for people to really get in their minds is that you know that the more you become a supposable expert on a subject, the more you actually realize you just don't know what's happening, and that's okay. You know, like it's a very comfortable place to get to eventually once you finally get there, because you have it brings life into the world that you never really imagined that was there, and it brings a mystery into it that is always been there waiting for you. And so, you know, instead of focusing hyper focused on what is do what is causing this experience you know it's more of like having an experience and learning from it it's like a uh, what they call gnosis you know you you experience something you know something from that versus like um writing it down in a book or reading it in a book or hearing it from a third party you know or a second person it's 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 about the experience itself you know and our culture kind of likes to limit things down to like uh, simple, simple facts, you know, but that's not how reality is and definitely not how these experiences are. They're, they're not simple. I think it's pretty amazing that like most of your day is spent trying to be entertained and you like uh, video games, uh, books, films, and, and, you know, but you get two things for free, you know, like, and that's the, the dreams and the orgasm It's like built in. I think that's pretty amazing, and uh, so if you if you're a hermit living in the forest, you still got like the orgasm, which is the physical greatest pleasure, and then you have the 
you know, like a movie theater, like for free, you know? So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, um, you know, in today's world, I think a lot of people are fearful of, um, uh, their freedoms and rights being taken away and things like that. And, you know, um, it's important to remember that the, the only thing that you're really free of is the ability to use your imagination, you know, like, um, it's always there with you. It's, it will become as engaged as you are with it, you know, depending on how much effort you put into it. And it's, you know, it's free and it, it'll always be there for you. You could be in the worst position in your entire life in the cell, you know, um, low, uh, minimal food and, and, uh, other, you know, people there to help you out or talk to you or whatever. But it, it really, uh, it was always there for you, you know, and it's important to understand why that is, you know, like I, I, I bring these things up because they're, I think they're more than more important than having the, like to, to put a name on something and have a lucid dream experience, you know, or a dream or a psychedelic or anything like that. The questions are really, um, really important because they bring a level of understanding about the, the reality that we all live in, um, to your eyes that maybe many people never really thought was possible. Um, and I would say that, you know, a good portion of my life was spent really trying to get the answers and my website kind of is a, a testament to that because it's, it's filled with facts, you know, like research here, research there, names and people and things like that. But when I finally started coming to the realization that I have now, it's like I could almost delete my entire website and feel fine about what I know because it's not about facts. It's about the experience and understanding what that experience really is to me, you know? Um, but I don't think everyone's kind of there, you know, and everyone's on their own journey and I still don't understand things, you know, to the, the point of which I'm growing to understand them in years. But, um, you know, and so people need to find their own path, their own answers, and through that, I think if they dive deep enough and are open enough to actually hear what their dreams are saying, you know, their own mind is saying to them, they'll they'll come to similar places that maybe I'm coming to or will come to someday. Great. And and do you have a what is your website and where can people find you? Uh, so they could go to my website, which is. Uh, filled with facts. I'm just kidding. It's a uh, taileaters.com, and it's like tail as in like a dragon's tail, and then eaters.com, and um, that's the website. And on my website, um, I have uh, a link that says get the book, and it's the book that's being published, and it'll be out in May of this year. It's a, a visionary. Um, guide to lucid dreaming um, methods for working with the dream or the deep dream state. So um, it's being published with inner traditions and they have like a Kindle version too. Um, if you feel that you don't have the money or whatever, you can get in contact with me and I will find a way for you to get my book. Um, for me, it's not about making money. It's about 
um, allowing people to to experience uh, some of the things that I've experienced and to really change their life. And it's kind of my way to give back for you know the countless people that have gone before me and have written about lucid dreams and really saved saved my life in many ways, you know, like and changed me. So um, hopefully, you know, people will take the time to read it because I think there's a lot of good information, especially in um, what to do after you have the experience and kind of um, become, make this personal myth, uh, mythology in your life so that you can grow, you know, I think that's a, something that's really important. So, um, so that's pretty much the main ways they can email me on the website. We have a discord there. They can chat with some other people if they're interested. Uh, but there's a lot of content on there, not just by me too. It's written by other people as well. I try to, and if, if somebody has something to share, I'm more uh, glad to post it on the website and get it to people that are, um, fall, you know, visiting the website. And there's quite a few people that come read the content. So uh, I'd be glad to, to get their, their message out there too. Cool. Thank you a lot for taking the time to be on the podcast. No problem. And thanks for having me on. And it was a, pleasure to talk and ramble <laughs> and hopefully some people learn some things and i i learned so i appreciate uh you sharing your dream experiences with me check out lee adam's book and website just head over to taileaters.com t-a-i-l eaters.com now let me plug another podcast since this podcast is also plugging my podcast It is a uh, clever scheme that we're doing. Why pay for ads when you can barter amongst yourselves? Project Archivist is a podcast that takes a look at the world of the wonderful, the weird, and the strange. Not always paranormal, but always different. Join us as we take a look at the weird world around us through guest interviews and roundtable discussions. You can find our show at www.projectarchivist.com, on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or any place that you can find podcasts. Again, please subscribe to my YouTube channel and share the podcast in social media. You can also follow me on Twitter. My handle is BornAlchemist. Now I'm going to close this episode with some shamanic drumming from an unknown source. Listening to this could aid you to go into a lucid dream, especially if you go into the dream without trying to have a loss of consciousness. Happy travels and remember, freedom is in the mind. (laughs) 